awesome. I left the batteries on. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 3. John, this is John the Baptist, said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. What a way to greet people, huh? Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the roots of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So this is, this is John the Baptist. He's coming on the scene. Uh, John was a, he was a hardcore type of guy. Right? He ate bugs, but he wasn't totally crazy. He dipped them in honey first, and then he ate the bugs. For some, I was reading his story throughout the Gospels, and somehow he shaved the camels to get their hair to make clothes out of them. I don't know if he like cut up the camels and used the skin, but he said his clothes were made out of camel's hair, which I would think isn't too comfortable. And he had this belt, and he was just kind of... He was the guy that you crossed the street because you didn't want to walk by. All right. So this is John and he's out there and he's he's preaching and he's baptizing. And what he wants to do. Can we turn the sound just a little bit more? Is it too loud out there? It seems too loud to me. La 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 la. A little bit more. La la. Good. That's good. Is that good? Can you hear me now? Does that mess with the recording or anything like that? You good? We good? La, la, okay, good. Sorry about that. <laughs> Technical difficulties. Please stand by. So, so John, all these people are starting to come to John. And he wants to make sure that they know something. He wants to make sure that there is not a shadow of a doubt in their minds. That there is no misunderstanding. These people are coming out to John, and he wants them to know that his baptism, this this symbolic dunking people in the water, his baptism is the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. He wants to make sure that people get this, that they understand what's going on. To repent is to turn. To change direction. If I'm traveling in this way and I just choose to repent, I'm going to travel in this way. This is a life choice. This is not him asking these people to make a New Year's resolution. To stop something. To quit something. Maybe to take something else. This is a big direction. This is a big decision. This is people are moving away from God. And John is telling them to repent and begin their journey toward God. The baptism isn't what is their repentance. It's not the repentance. The baptism is the symbol of their desire and their choice to repent and to return. And he's telling them to return to the Lord their God. Not some God that they've made up. See, these people, these people are religious people. 
They, they are supposedly God's people. They know about religion. They know about God. They have ideas about worship. They have the law. They know of all the rituals. They know all the things that they're supposed to be doing. But John is calling them to something different. To return to the true God. And for us, it would be the God that reveals himself in, in the pages of this book. To return, not to, not to some comfortable, I got God in a box, and he would never make me do things that I really don't want to do. He would never make me get out of my comfort zone. A God that's very controllable, a, a faith that costs me absolutely nothing. That's not the God he's calling people to return to. He's calling them to return to the Lord, their God. And this is, now this, this is a big deal. Because this is about getting rid of all of the old patterns of living and of life. Getting, rejecting all of the old thoughts that we have and all of the old principles that we live by. Even rejecting religion in and of itself. Return to the Lord your God. This is John's baptism. To refocus on God's plan, on God's will. And the way he speaks here, wow, we got a big bug crawling on there, huh? Uh, how much you give me? Mike, how much more money we need for missions? <laughs> oh, he's gone. Thank you, Jesus. Where was I? There is a seriousness in his tone. You brood of vipers, who warns you of the coming wrath? I mean, he is, there's a seriousness, there's an urgency in his tone when he's speaking to this people. It's not this, not this attitude of, you know, I'll get there when I get there. Or, you know, like, what, what Ev? I'm working on it. And it's a, it's a tension that we actually live here in our church. There's this tension of, of the seriousness of, of what John is speaking to the people. And, and one of the things that's part of our DNA. We are a church, and we're constantly creating a church, and we're growing into a church that we want to be a place where it's okay not to be okay. You following? We want to be a church where it's okay not to be okay. What that means is that you can walk through these doors and be falling apart and it's okay. You can walk through these doors and your life can be in shambles. Your marriage can be in shambles. Your kids can be all messed up. You can be all messed up. Your finances are all messed up and it's okay. We want to be a community where it's okay not to be okay. A safe place to come. And we want to recognize brokenness here. We don't want to just bury it like it doesn't exist. We want to, we want to recognize it and we want to acknowledge it. We discourage the happy, plastic, Christian face. How you doing? Great. And you're lying through your teeth. In church, no less. We discourage that. And maybe we can even take that further. You don't have to be the perfect Christian to walk through these doors. 
You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the theology all correctly in, in line. You don't, you don't, you can actually, okay, ready for this? You can be a sinner and come through that door. Now, I know that none of you know what that's like, and you wouldn't condemn those people. You can be a sinner, dirty, rotten, yucky, potty mouth sinner and walk through that door. You don't have to be cleaned up to get here. You don't have to be cleaned up to come to Christ. In fact, you can't get cleaned up to come to Christ. Christ does the cleaning. We want to be a place where it's okay not to be okay. But see, there's a tension that lies within that. There's a tension that lies within our DNA. It's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay just to give up and stay there. It's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay just to say, I'm a mess. <laughs> Who cares? Jesus loves me. It's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to say, you know what? I don't pray. I don't really seek God. I come to church because I have no idea. You know, I, I need counseling, but I ain't going to go. I mean, God loves me anyway. It's not okay to walk through the door and just say, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to keep this sin in my life because I like it and it feels good. See, it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay just to resolve yourself and give up and stay there. God loves you. He loves you so much that he wants to move you toward healing and maturity and Christ-likeness. That's his plan. His plan isn't that you just stay broken. His plan is to heal you and to make you whole. Indifference will kill you. It will kill you spiritually, emotionally, physically. Indifference will eventually lead to hopelessness. And as John speaks to these people, there's an urgency and a seriousness to this repentance thing. The people he's talking to, they think they're, they're good because they're God's people. They're Abraham's children. And what does he call them? You brood of vipers. You people are a bunch of snakes. He's a snake in the grass. I'll tell you guys, he may look dumb, but that's just the disguise. He's a mastermind in the ways of espionage. That's the book of Dennis, chapter 4, verse 6. <laughs> He's pretty much telling them that their life is hopeless apart from repenting. Their life is hopeless apart from Jesus. He calls them a brood of vipers, snakes. Back then, snakes were, were thought to be evil and wicked and hostile, and they're poisonous, and there's something to be killed and, and just kick. You avoid the snake, and he says, unless you repent, you brood of vipers, there is a coming wrath upon you that you are not going to be able to escape. Do you see the urgency and the seriousness of what he's speaking to the people? And they're, di and, and, and they're just, you know, 
some of them are, yeah, no, we're Abraham's children. And that means, that means we're God's children. And, and we're okay because, because we're God's children. They believe that because of, of the lineage, the heritage that they were born into, they're okay. It'd be kind of like if, if a child was born to parents who are both doctors. And that child thinks, well, since my parents are doctors, well then, I just must be a doctor. No. And they think that just because... They've been born into this lineage that they are okay. And John is telling them, listen, I want to be clear with you. God could raise up rocks to replace you. Tell them, man, you're living lifeless. You're living empty. You're living unproductive lives. God's children. God's covenant children become his children by responding to the invitation of his grace through jesus christ those are the covenant children of god and this is something new and amazing that john is offering to them and he's ushering in the messiah john knows that he is the one that's going before he will tell them that there is someone coming greater than i whose shoes i'm not even worthy to untie And then he tells them, your lives need to mirror a life of repentance, a life lived in repentance and grace. John is explaining what God is doing. God is explaining what God will continue to do. He is making a new people. God is bringing life to the lifeless. It's God's plan. It's God's way. It's God's work. It's God's business. But this brood of vipers, what's the good thing is here, they, they have hope. You see, if they didn't have hope, either would we have hope. We have hope. People, people who are broken and just living away from God, they have hope. And so do, so do these people. We have all been part of that brood of vipers in our lives. We have all been there. We have all been to that place where we have lived outside of what God has called us to. Places where we have lived outside of the harmony that Jesus brings us to. But those, those who have moved, who have repented, who have put God first, those who have moved from death to life, they now embrace the purpose of God. And so I guess the question for us is, what is God's purpose? What is the purpose of God? It's a great question. Thank you for asking it. The purpose of God. Now, I know that some of you are going to wrestle with this a little bit. Well, that's okay. The purpose of God, you ready for this? This is very simple. God's purpose is to bring glory to himself. I know that takes us out of the center. and doesn't make you the most special. I mean, obviously I'm the most special, but it may not make you second place anymore. God's purpose is to bring himself glory. Do you know that the Lord is the most God-centered person in the universe? He cannot be an adulterer. 
idolater, idolater. His commitment, his first and foremost commitment is to his name and to his glory and not to us. God's commitment is to his glory and not first and foremost to his glory and not first to us. And because of that, that's where we find our security and our salvation and his love and his grace because he is most focused on his own glory. You know, too often we as Christians want to center our lives around God as long as we have this warm, fuzzy feeling that God has centered his life around us. That's not the case. We are not the center of God's world. God is. His glory is the center of his world. And it's in that commitment to his namesake that he pours out the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ to his people. God cannot be a means to the end. Our salvation isn't about us, it's about him. You don't get saved, and then you get the big car, and then you get the house, and then you get the big bank account, and everything goes well. That's not, when you get saved, you get God, and that's it, and that's enough. All of the other junk that the world says important is junk that's not important. Our salvation is for the glory of his name. When we are saved, we get the Lord. 100% him. We get all of him. God loves his glory more than he loves us. And that's why he loves us so, so. Isaiah 48 talks about this idea of, of God and his name and doing things for the glory of his name. Ezekiel 36, verses 22 and 23, God telling Israel, he says to his people, listen to me, people, I am not redeeming all things for you. I'm doing it for my namesake and for my holiness. And once you're redeemed, all of the people on earth will know that I am the Lord your God and I am holy. It's, it's, it's not about us. It's about him. God's love for his name and his glory is the foundation of the love of Jesus Christ. You know, we say, that, uh, we say that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. And, and that's, that's a true statement. There, that's true, but, but theologically, it's a little skewed. We have, to, we have to think of it this way. God died, I'm sorry, Jesus died on the cross to bring glory to the Father. And in bringing the Father glory, we have our salvation. 
John 17. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that He may glorify you. God's purpose is His own glory. And we've been created to bring glory to God. That's why we're here. To bring glory to the Father. Now remember I said a while ago, we will all bring God glory. Every person on the earth that's ever walked this earth will bring God glory. Either we will be uh, recipients of his divine wrath or we will be recipients of his divine grace through Jesus Christ. But we will all bring him glory. And our created purpose is just that. And so maybe now you're asking the question because I did. How do we do that? How do we bring the Lord glory? If that's what we're created for, what do we do? Is it following all the rules? Making sure that we live a very moral and ethical life? Only watching PG-13 movies? Only listening to the good kind of music, you know, Springsteen and Skinner and stuff like that. Is that how we bring Him glory? Knowing chapter and verse... Spending all of your time, all your free time at church, doing church things. Is that how we bring him glory? No. It's even, it's, it's so much simpler than that. You ready for this? You ready? You ready? Okay, here it comes. Ready? God is most glorified when we are most satisfied with him. Are you tracking with me? God is most glorified when we, his people, are most satisfied with him. Do you know how much weight that takes off our shoulders to get it right? Do you know how much weight that takes off our shoulders to do something we can never do? God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Not by following the rules, not by behaving, not by memorizing how much how many chapters and verse that you could just regurgitate. Not how well you pray. Not even how much you pray. God is most satisfied or glorified when we are most satisfied in him. And so what in the world, Dennis, are you bringing us to? I thought you were talking about joy. It's Advent. What does this have to do with joy? Well, maybe we could say it this way. God is most glorified. When we find our joy in him and him alone. God is most glorified when we find our joy in him and him alone. Sharon, next slide, please. Philippians 4 says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the posture of the heart that brings the most glory to God, joy, unmitigated, untrampled joy. It should be the mark of a Jesus follower to be 
filled with this joy. This is not an ebb and flow thing. It's not about, okay, things are going well, so I think I'm joyful. Because you know what? This past weekend, things have not gone well. And so can we still hold on to joy? I told Sandy last night as I was going to bed, and I'll be perfectly honest with you. I told her, I don't want to go to church tomorrow. I don't, I don't want to, I, I didn't want to bring this message. I didn't want to do worship. I just didn't want to. There's nothing against you. I mean, sometimes you don't want to go to church, and guess what? You get to not come. See, joy goes beyond that. Joy comes from a a heart of repentance and a heart that surrenders. Joy comes from a person who abides and pursues Christ. And the way Paul lays it out here, it's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's just the way it is. A person who follows Jesus, a mark of their life should be joy on a community level a community that pursues the things of god through jesus christ should be a community of joy it's the mark of the activity of the holy spirit in our lives love joy peace patience love joy and he's speaking this to the philippian church the Philippian church is getting beat up while he's writing this. Getting beat up by the, the, the regulars, just the, the, the society in general. They're getting beat up by the empire. They're, they're getting persecuted. And Paul tells them, rejoice. I say it again. Rejoice. Not because of what's happening around you. Not because there are things that aren't happening around you. But because what's happening inside of you. That the Spirit of the Lord is living within you. And he tells them, rejoice. Because that is the definition. And that is the the foundation. And that is the beginning of our joy. The Spirit of the Lord that's living within you. Rejoice. I say it again. Rejoice. And then he goes on to tell him what, what this joy thing looks like. He says, let, let your gentleness be evident to all. That you would be men and women who are gentle with each other. That you would be men and women who are gentle with people out there. And what's implied in this, and Paul is asking, telling them that you are also gentle with the people who come against you, the people who persecute you, the people who don't like you, the people who think you're a doofus, the people who call you a doofus, right to your face. That you wouldn't even go with the sticks and stones may break my bones things. You would just go, okay, let your gentleness be made known or evident to all, not some, not the majority, not the easy ones, the ones you like, not the ones that like you, all people. This is the expression 
of gentleness, of joy, that you would be gentle. And then, what's it say? Don't be anxious about anything. Ha! Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a world without anxiety? Can you imagine a church without anxiety? Can you imagine just for a moment yourself not being anxious about anything? Oh, I would say it this way. Ha! I mean, come on, really? This is the mark of joy that we should not be anxious about anything. That we would completely entrust our lives to God. What's it say? Through prayer and thanksgiving. That we would completely entrust our lives to God through prayer and thanksgiving. No anxiety and trust and pray and be thankful. These are the marks of what it looks like to have joy in your heart, to be, to, to live without a care. <laughs> it's be, I, I can't even fathom that. Can you imagine? I mean, this is not being careless. Or, or this is not um, this is not being uncaring. This is like childlike to live without a care. To know that every day the sun comes up and you're going to get food and you got stuff to play with. And imagine being childlike. I mean, people call me childish. I don't think it's the same. To live childlike. It's it's the invitation. Because apprehension and fear and worry, those are the marks of people who have yet to put their trust in Jesus Christ. Apprehension and fear and worry, those are the marks of people that look out into the world and say, this is it. This is it. And at best, at best, there's this it's just all uncertain. It's a who knows. And in its worst, they look out and just see what happened on Friday and they live without hope. No peace. But not to those who would live in the fruit of repentance that we can in all things, every single day in every situation we get to go to the creator of the universe and let him know what's going on with us and the things that would bring people to their knees would cause people to worry would cause them to break down we could stand firm knowing that we are loved by a god who is drawing us closer and closer to himself for his glory, for his namesake, through his son, Jesus Christ. We can live not because of what's happening around us, but because of what continually is happening, happening within, the, within us. This is a posture of dependence, and it's a posture of trust. It is a heart thing.
and then we move into a peace that that just goes beyond what we can possibly understand. You know, sometimes I think I'm not quite there yet. I've always been able to understand my peace. Ooh, dishes are clean. Kids put them away in dishwasher. Ooh, I got peace. I could define that. But can you know peace in the midst of utter evil and tragedy? God invites us to. And you know, sometimes I don't like this. It's not tidy. And it doesn't make all the sense to me in the world. And I know that I was listening to one preacher one time, and and he said, I don't know how pastors can get up there and not be sure about what they're preaching. All right, guilty. I wish I had all the answers. I really do. It would make my life much easier and probably yours too. And I'd be rich because I'd write a book, all the answers, boom. And Rick Warren would put the forward on it because he forwards all the good books. But I wrestle with this stuff. But here's what I want to tell you. I trust it. I was reading Psalm 42 last night. And David says, why so downcast, O my soul? And I thought, how, why is he asking his own soul? Why are you bummed out? And he says it over and over again, but I will praise you. Why are you so bummed out, soul? And I just, I just had this idea that, that he lives in the tension of this truth. That his mind knows all of this stuff. And his mind knows what God is supposed to be like. And God's good and God's sovereign. He's in control and blah, 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 blah. And his mind is going, okay, soul, why are you so downcast? We know this. And there's this separation in him. And what does he say? (laughs) I'm going to praise you. Maybe praise is what joins the heart and the mind together. Maybe praise opens the soul to understand the, 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 the academicness of this word of God. I don't know. But I really, I, I kind of felt for him last night as I was just kind of wrestling with this morning. That, that, that even David, just so you know, he was a bigwig. Right in the Bible, he was like the man, like capital D. A man after God's own heart. He questions, why are you downcast, my soul? Sometimes I wonder if, if, if he, had, he could have used some good counseling because sometimes he just seems a little up and down, David, in the Psalms. God, kill everybody! But hey, I love you and you're gracious and love. I mean, like, And so if David wrestled with it, it's okay that we wrestle with it. John said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And you know what repentance really is? Repentance is saying, it's not about me. 
Repentance says, it's not about me. I'm no longer the most important thing. Repentance says, it's all about God and his will and his plan and his purpose. And the purpose of God is to bring glory to himself. And our purpose to why we were created is to bring glory to him through our lives. And we do that most by being satisfied with him. We do that most by the Lord being the object of our joy, by the Lord being the source of our joy. Our joy is rooted in what's happening in here, the Spirit of God indwelling in each of us. That's how we can begin to have joy. It's a condition of the heart with the foundation of what Christ has done. And see, behavior? I mean, in, in, the, in the Luke text, John kind of spanks everybody, and then they say, well, what do we do, John? And they say, he says, well, you know, give, give some stuff to the poor, new tax collectors. Only take what you should, and you army people. Don't be thumping on people that really don't deserve a thumping, you know, that type of thing. It's, and, he, and he looks at behavior, and we go, okay, that's how, that's what repentance looks like. I have to behave well. That's not what it is. Repentance is putting God first and allowing the Spirit to transform your heart because behavior flows from what's in your heart. And it's fill, if it's filled with darkness and junk and caca, then that's what's going to flow out from you. But if it's filled with the light of Christ, then the natural response to that is light will flow from you. And you will know the joy of the Lord. And it will become strength. What does joy look like? It's being gentle with all people. All people. What does joy look like? That you would go to the Lord in prayer. With thanksgiving in your heart. What does joy look like? That you are not anxious for anything. I would say we all have a lot of work of doing nothing and allowing the Lord to do everything. And I thought it's kind of a pity that we only talk about this stuff at Christmas. Because how much does this world need to know the good news of Jesus? How much does this world need to know that they find joy? And not that you got to like what's going on and accept what's going on and be okay. Well, you know, God works all things for good for those who love him. I mean, if you were to say that to one of those families, I would punch you. Just keeping it real. But as the world seems to come unhinged, Spirit of God lives in his people. And that is where we find our joy. God, I want to thank you for your word and that you caused it to be written. I want to thank you that you are a God of grace and mercy and love. Now, teach us. To walk purpose. 
teach us to walk with urgency and seriousness. Release in us the joy of your Holy Spirit. Amen.